you're traveling through another dimension. A dimension not only of sight and sound, but of mind. It is the middle ground between light and shadow, between science and superstition. And it lies between the pit of one's fears and the summit of one's knowledge. You are now traveling through a dimension of imagination. You just crossed over into the Twilight Zone. Hello and welcome to a bonus episode of Anthology, presented by ObsessiveViewer.com. I'm your host, Matt Hurt, and if this is your first time listening, Anthology is one man's examination of the Twilight Zone as a first-time viewer. Each podcast, I share my first impressions, analysis, and overall thoughts on Rod Rod Serling's (laughs) iconic series one episode at a time. However, in this bonus episode series, I am reviewing season two of Jordan Peele and Simon Kinberg's uh, Twilight Zone reboot, uh, on CBS All Access, hosted by Jordan Peele. <laughs> you can find more of Anthology as well as a full episode archive at anthologypod.com. And if you want to contact me, you can use the Facebook page at facebook.com slash anthologypod, tweet me at ovanthologypod, or send an email to matt at obsessiveviewer.com. And finally, if you want to support the show and get access to exclusive content, go to patreon.com slash obsessiveviewer. If you pledge $1 or $2 per month, you get access to an exclusive RSS feed with content that's recorded specifically for Patreon supporters across all three of my podcasts. So right now there is, um, I think, 100 and, 100 and like 12 um, episodes of just Patreon recorded content at the one or two dollar level. Um, and if you pledge five dollars, you get access to that RSS feed plus commentary tracks and immediate v- movie reaction videos that I record. Um, recently on the Patreon feed for, uh, for commentary tracks, I recorded a commentary for Superbad, uh, one for Pet Cemetery 2019 and uh, one for, oh God, what was the third one I did last month? Oh, uh, Shaun of the Dead. So yeah, so check that out. It's $5 gets you access to that. And then finally, if you pledge $10 per month, you get access to all of what I've said, plus, um, early access to episodes and unreleased podcast episodes. So, um, so yeah, so check that out. If you want to support me on Patreon, it's patreon.com slash obsessive viewer. Okay, so today on the show, I'm going to be discussing A Human Face. It's the seventh episode of The Twilight Zone's second season, and it premiered on June 25th, 2020 on CBS All Access. Uh, but first, I do have some notes that I want to go through. Um, it has been a while since I've recorded an episode of Anthology. Um, I apologize for the delay and everything, but I'm hoping to get back on track with that soon. It's just kind of hard to, I don't know, be consistent when I have two other podcasts and I do this all in my free time. So, um, it's not really a, uh, <laughs> it's not a full-time gig for me, unfortunately. Um, so maybe someday if I, if, if I, if I ever reach a point where I'm able to do podcasts full-time, then I'll die a happy man. But, um, unfortunately I've got to do this when I can. And that means a lot of hiatuses and stuff. So anyway, I appreciate your guys' patience, and I'm hoping to just buckle down and get the last of these bonus episodes out and then get back to the original series. Um, so, yeah, so as far as news and everything, um, there's still no word on a season three of The Twilight Zone, this new version of The Twilight Zone. Um, honestly, I'm recording this Super Bowl Sunday. It's, what, February 7th? 2021, even with the pandemic and everything being kind of in limbo and, and crazy, 
I'll break it to you guys. I don't think we're going to get a third season of this show. I honestly think that we're, I, th- I honestly think that it's done. Um, part of that is because we haven't heard anything. Like I said, it's Super Bowl Sunday right now. The first, the first season was announced well before the Super Bowl, and we actually got a Super Bowl commercial for it. And then season two, I don't remember if they had a Super Bowl commercial, but obviously, Season two was was released in June of last year, so I mean it was well in pr- production at this point. I honestly think that this is just kind of just being kind of brushed under the rug, I guess. A um, couple other things about that is that they released um, season two of the Twilight Zone on DVD um, on January twelfth, and this was kind of this kind of felt a little bit like a nail in the coffin for me as well. Because they released the DVD. Like, it was a very quietly released DVD release. Like, there's no Blu-ray edition. Not yet, at least. I think I read somewhere um, that a Blu-ray release was going to be forthcoming. But this DVD release is just bare bones. It was released on January 12th. And the only special features are a gag reel and uh, some deleted and extended scenes. And that that's it. So I'm hoping that we get a Blu-ray release. And I'm hoping that that Blu-ray release has like some good stuff in it. That way I can do like a special episode like I did last year. Um, kind of breaking it down. But honestly, I mean, it just seems like they're just dumping the show. Um, it's And it's a shame because I, I think that it really could have lasted long. So I don't know. But another reason why I kind of have a little bit of, I guess, hope in a weird way um, is that also behind the scenes, CBS All Access is going through this huge rebranding thing. So um, CBS All Access starting, I think, March 4th is going to become Paramount Plus. Like that's the new the new name for CBS All Access. And essentially it's rebranding. Uh, it's a complete rebrand of the streaming service. Um, and here, I'll just read from my notes that I I don't know if I copied and pasted this from a link, but I'll put the link in the show notes anyway. So anyway, um, this is from back when it announced that they were uh, changing to Paramount+. Plus. Um, today, the company unveiled Paramount+, Plus as the brand name for its upcoming global streaming service, which will rebrand the current video on demand and live streaming service, CBS All Access, in early 2021. Uh, the goal is to feature content from Viacom CBS's portfolio of broadcast news, sports, and entertainment brands. Uh, crucially, this expansion will also bring C- uh, bring Paramount Plus <laughs> to international markets with planned debuts in Australia, Latin America, and the Nordics in 2021. So, they are going for more of a, a, a wide swath of things. I kind of liken it to the way that HBO came out with HBO Max. Because HBO Max has HBO content. It has Warner Brothers media content. It has DC content, um, Crunchyroll, and uh, oh, uh, Studio Ghibli. It has all of these different things. Uh, TCM um, content. like It's all rolled into one massive thing. And I think that that's what CBS All Access or CBS is doing to make Paramount Plus more encompassing of its entire catalog that it has available um, or that it has access to, uh, which I understand. And it's cool. I'm, I'm on board with it being named Paramount Plus as opposed to CBS All Access because people seem to get confused that CBS All Access is a standalone service um, and not over-the-air CBS content. But the reason that it kind of gives me a little bit of hope is that I kind of wonder or kind of hope that maybe after March 4th when they launch Paramount Plus, maybe they'll make an announcement regarding Twilight Zone. But I also, I think that that is very, very much not in the cards. 
um, at this point, which is a shame. I really wish we could have gotten more Twilight Zone um, from Jordan Peele and, and uh, Monkey Paw Productions, but I'm happy with the two seasons we got. So, I mean, there's there's that. So that's all the news that I have and everything. I'll probably have more stuff to go over next time on the show. But uh, for now, let's get into my review of A Human Face. And, of course, I'm going to go ahead and read a plot summary of A Human Face. Uh, courtesy of CBS All Access, a grieving couple's move is interrupted by an otherworldly encounter, leading them to second-guess what's worth leaving behind. This episode stars Jenna Elfman as Barbara. Uh, she's known primarily from Dharma and Greg and Fear the Walking Dead. Um, just to throw this out there, I know her best, or I, 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 I don't know, I, I know her from can't hardly wait it's one of my favorite movies she has a small part in that um co-starring as robert is chris molina maloney um (laughs) he is in the handmaid's tale 42 wet hot american summer and one of my favorite favorite uh rom-com parodies they came together um so it's a great, great movie. Um, and Chris Maloney is, is, is fantastic, uh, in general. And then rounding out the cast is Tavi Gevinson as Maggie. Uh, she was in person to person and enough said. I don't know anything about those. So, um, yeah, she was good in this episode though. Writer for this episode was Alex Rubens, who wrote this and Try Try, uh, in a couple of, in a couple of episodes. And in season one, he wrote The Comedian and Blurry Man. Uh, he's also one of the producers on the show, of course. And director for this episode was Christina Cho. She previously directed season one's Not All Men. And in 2018, she directed a movie called Nancy that I think I talked about last time when I, when I reviewed Not All Men, I think. But she directed a movie called Nancy that's about a woman who becomes, uh, convinced that she was kidnapped as a child. I haven't seen it yet. I should, um, because it sounds intriguing. But anyway, that's called Nancy. Check that out if you have a chance. So. All right. Um, before I get into my actual review, I'm going to go over my initial thoughts. And here's where I say that uh, I'm going to be spoiling this episode. So if you haven't seen a human face, <laughs> that's a weird sentence. Um, if you haven't seen a human face, <laughs> turn off this podcast and go, go seek one out. And then, uh, and then come back and <laughs> come back and listen to the show. Um, all right. Spoilers on for a human face. Here are my initial thoughts. Uh, when I first saw this episode, I thought that it was solid. It's, it's an emotionally, uh, driven episode. And I was kind of back and forth on the contained in a house storyline. Like, I don't know. I, I, to be honest, when I first saw this, I wasn't too crazy about it, but that kind of self-contained story of these two characters in a house with, with a third character who is an alien, like it felt a little bit, I don't know. It, it, at first glance, it kind of felt a little too confined to me without being too much about the confinement. Like it felt just, it felt very much like a, a skeleton crew production, um, of Twilight Zone for me. That was my initial, like, cynical kind of viewpoint on it. But in the intervening months, really, since I've seen this, um, it's really grown on me. And I really, really like the pairing of Jenna Elfman and Chris Maloney. Um, I think that they were terrific in this episode. And as I grew more appreciative of this episode, I grew more appreciative of their performances, um, specifically because this is an episode that is so, uh, so much about their back and forth and their, the way that they handle grief and the way that their, their characters are handling this experience. Um, that having these two performers perform it so strongly was really, really elevated this episode for me. 
So those are my initial thoughts. Once again, going to spoil the episode. So here we go. Spoilers on for a human face. So this episode starts with an opening shot of the galaxy, and it's kind of zooming us into Earth. Um, and I think visually, this is just a, is an extremely solid way to bring us into the episode. And I kind of wonder, this is too in the weeds about it, but, um, it, I wonder like budget, budget, uh, budget wise, like I'm sure that they probably were able to afford that kind of visual effects when the episode itself was kind of a bottle episode and, and kind of pared down episode. And I think it works really well. Like that opening shot where, we're being brought into brought into the world it's it kind of serves a couple of purposes so one it's showing how small and incon- insignificant we are um which i am always game for when i see that because i'm such a sucker for like long uh like like i have this longing for space travel <laughs> in a way um so anytime i see something that kind of represents just how big the galaxy is and how big the universe is it just makes me kind of daydream and everything so it's interesting that it it takes us from this wide huge shot of just the galaxy bringing us into um bringing us into like into earth and then into this into this neighborhood and then into this house that's just these two people is just a really cool uh, dynamic way to bring us into into this story and show us that these are two people but they're part of a bigger world and they're the the world around them is is just as big um the other way the other thing that it kind of serves the other purpose that that serves is that it is it is us having a pov shot of the of the alien arriving and um on earth which comes into play later and it, it also uh, hints at this, what, what will happen later is that it's not ambiguous. Like, like it's, um, it, it makes everything that's to come less ambiguous. Like it's not, this isn't a monsters are due on Maple street kind of thing where like, Oh, is this person an alien or is this person not an alien? It's like, it's communicating to us like, yes, this is an alien that is coming to earth and it is going to change these, these two characters lives in a very significant way. Um, so it kind of hints at that. And obviously we get more of that later in the episode when they go into the basement. Also, I really like the music in that shot. Um, it's like this cosmic music that plays as, as we zoom into earth. I just, I just really enjoyed it and thought it was a good, uh, way to bring us into the tone of the episode. So this opening scene with Robert and Barbara, um, I really like the way that the camera follows Barbara. Um, as she goes into the room and she's kind of confused, it kind of, it kind of, um, connects well with that POV shot from space, uh, onto earth. It's, it's a nice connective tissue visually for, uh, for following us with a camera. It kind of makes it just seem very natural. And the first, the, really the first scene that we get with Barbara and Robert is this, um, is this i mean on paper like the writing is really concise but it kind of feels a little bit i don't want to say forced but it's barbara not understanding that the phone is part of the internet uh package um and robert's use of the word bundle that triggers her grief um like this is very concise writing and like on the surface it's like okay it's it's kind of it's kind of silly to have this person say like well um the internet, like, like the phone's not working, but you shut the internet off and it's kind of like this back and forth and everything. But I think it goes deeper than that, like deeper than just having him use the word bundle 
to trigger it. It's not like that's the sole purpose of this line of dialogue. The, the other purposes, the subtext of it is that she is, um, it is that is to kind of showcase or introduce us to the friction between Robert and Barbara. Like Robert, he is, he kind of has this, condescending kind of tone it's it it's a good introduction to his attitude and condescension like yes it's part of the internet it's a bundle um and then obviously that um triggers her grief and her memory of of maggie so that it it serves a really good purpose and is a nice concise writing um and everything so yeah um to be fair i did not have a problem with it <laughs> um okay so then Barbara mentions uh, that Maggie was so scattered and like this, this denial over Maggie's emotional issues is alluded to like this right, right out from the outset. And it's a running thing throughout the episode. So she says, ha, she was always so scattered and Robert's just like, no, she wasn't. And the, like, I love the subtlety of their story here. We see that they're grieving. Like, this is introducing so much. We see that they're grieving. We see that their relationship has faced some challenges, obviously. Um, also the stress of moving (laughs) is, is also, um, somewhere in there, I'm sure. But the show isn't spelling out its specifics yet. And I really appreciate that. So, like, we see that they're grieving. We see that they're upset. We see that they've lost their child. And that they're moving. Um, all of these big stressors. The stress of moving is insane. But, um, but we also get the kind of dynamic of their relationship introduced to us as well with the way that he speaks to her and the way that she is kind of living in this, in this mournful grief. Cause we don't know how much time has passed. We don't know any of the specifics or anything. And I really like the way that when, uh, the way that she says that she was always so scattered. I love how that comes back into play later in the episode. So then we get the classic Twilight Zone setup, uh, the, um, the meteorite or whatever passing over and then them going down to investigate the sound in the, uh, in the basement. And this is a solid piece of tension. Um, at this point though, I was more focused on what the episode would be rather than like worrying for their safety. Um, I, I don't know. It just felt like it, it didn't feel like tense to me when they were going down to the basement. Cause I, I was already following the bread cu- breadcrumbs of their kind of their conflict, uh, their emotional conflict. And I was more interested in that rather than like, Oh, what are they going to find in the basement? Fortunately, the episode gets to its point and gets to the point of that basement scene fairly quickly. And I got to say, even though I wasn't like fretting their, their safety, their physical safety, that alien, like in its original form, is really creepy. I, I love the design of it, the translucent skin and the gnawing on the table like a termite. It and it kind of looks like a like a giant water bear or tardigrade or whatever. Um, just some really solid visual effects there. And then so they obviously run, um, and they they kind of barricade themselves. And that's when we get the opening, uh, the opening narration from Jordan Peele. So I'm going to play a clip of that opening narration right now. When they come, what form will they choose? And if they present us with the right one, will we let them in, welcome them with open arms? Robert and Barbara are about to find out that it may not even matter what's inside as long as it arrives in the right package. Open the doors. You've just received a delivery. 
from the Twilight Zone. All right, and so this was a really good opening narration, in my opinion. Um, it's setting the stage for the episode in a, in a pretty big way. And the overarching theme, it, it incorporates this over the overarching theme of the season, which is identity and escape. And this episode is all about grieving um, and their couple potentially potentially escaping their grief, maybe not in the way that they expected to or that the audience expects to uh, to see them escaping their grief. But it has that kind of identity and escape tone throughout it, which I, I really appreciated. And I and I really like the way that the narrator appears, like that that camera trick where it's an uninterrupted shot of Robert and Barbara running into the bathroom, running through the room into the bathroom. The camera follows them, like pans over, uh, pans over the room as they pass by the empty bed, and then when they barricade themselves, it pans back and Jordan Peele's just sitting there. Um, I thought that was really cool, um, really cool, effective, and just simple. Um, uh, visual uh visual effect i guess not visual effect but uh you know what i mean <laughs> little camera trick so we get the opening uh the opening credits and when we come back barbara asks uh robert if he saw her eyes in the alien and this sets up the conflict between them this is like the the first act is their conflict over the over whether or not the alien is their daughter essentially. And she saw Maggie's eyes when they were seeing the alien. And what I found really interesting and, and it's something because going back and watching this again and again, <clears throat> my voice is cracking. I'm sorry. Going back and watching this again and again, I don't really see <laughs> the eyes. Um, like the close up we see lacked any real human features, but showed some kind of, it looked like an image transposed onto the that translucent skin of the creature. And it's not like it doesn't feel or it doesn't look have that look of a fully formed human face or human features. And honestly, it's it's barely perceptible unless you're sitting there looking for it and pausing CBS All Access <laughs> every frame. Um, and I really appreciate that about this scene because it's it's kind of puts you in this uh puts you and uh, puts you into Robert's perspective where Robert is looking at it very logically he's he's going to be looking at it very harshly and he's going to say like that you're like in no uncertain terms he's going to say you're crazy this is not our daughter and this is this is an interesting way to just show that fracture in their relationship um and also having us be kind of somewhat involved as an audience because we we didn't really see the face that much, or we didn't see the eyes the way that she describes them. Um, and I kind of really, I really like that as introducing this kind of big conflict, a big emotional conflict um, in the scene where they're in the bathroom. In, in kind of in a broader term, I broader sense, I really appreciate that this episode isn't necessarily about questioning or believing the reality of an alien being in their home. Um, it's a question of how their grief and pain will guide them through this experience more than anything. And I just like that right from the outset, as an, as the audience, we're introduced to it as, yes, this is an alien. This is a creature that is in their house, and they are now having to deal with it. And then that just that alleviating that kind of mystery in the plot um, really makes makes us more receptive to diving into that emotional fragility between the two 
uh, the two characters, which I really liked it. Uh, I really like, um, and that fragility between them is, is just heartbreaking, honestly, because it all comes from the experience of losing their daughter is obviously horrifying. Like that is a horrifying idea. And even more so that the kind of thing that jumps out at me about this episode is that we're living in the aftermath of that loss with with Robert and Barbara. And in that aftermath of the that loss, because like I said, we don't know how long she's been dead. We don't know how long they've been in this state of mind and state of grief. But seeing that they that they are this married couple, this this these two people who are sharing their lives and experience this loss together seeing the aftermath of that bringing us as the audience into this aftermath of that loss and showing us that that loss and that experience hasn't united them in their grief um is kind of in in its own way kind of really deeply sad and tragic and a little horrifying to uh, just a little bit horrifying um and as the episode progresses we just learn that they're that they haven't unified in their grief. They're not, they're not depending on each other to get through it because they're putting up blinders up, putting blinders up regarding their daughter's own pain. And it's this interesting kind of display. And like, this is why I say it's a very emotionally rich episode where we have Barbara wanting to believe that Maggie's death was an accident. And Robert knows the truth and he doesn't want to, I don't know if I would say that he doesn't want to kind of spell it out to Barbara, not immediately at least, but he is the person who has been, it, it kind of seems like he's been, he's had these emotions festering in him because she wants, she wants to believe that, that Maggie was too scattered and accidentally OD'd and killed herself while, while Robert is very clear about it. He's, he knows that, you know, she was emotionally struggling and, she killed herself. Um, I don't know. It's just, it's, it's a really interesting emotional kind of scenario to set up. And, and it's interesting to see the way that their experience with the alien kind of doesn't mirror that, but it's interesting to see the kind of, um, difference in that. So Barbara wants to believe that Maggie's death was an accident. Like I said, while Robert wants to believe that the alien is not Maggie, um, and it's not necessarily a right or wrong thing. It's just this interesting kind of logic based and emotion based kind of thing. Barbara wants to believe that Maggie's death was an accident. And she also wants to believe that Maggie is coming back and that Maggie, this is a way to write what's wrong or what, what happened, like make things right and bring, bring their family back together. Whereas Robert wants Barbara to realize that it wasn't happy that she wasn't happy when, uh, that things weren't ha as happy as she's making it out to be when Maggie was alive and they need to kind of confront the pain that Maggie felt and everything. And he doesn't want to believe that the alien is, is Maggie because he doesn't want the kind of, um, I, I want to stop short of saying delusion because that seems a little bit too corrosive, but he wants to stop this, um, emotional construct that Barbara is already constructing for herself that, okay, well, this alien is going to be the new Maggie and everything's going to be better and everything. She's not going to feel this grief anymore because her daughter's going to be back. Um, it's just, it's a really interesting kind of tangled 
emotional situation. And then we get the actual alien transforming into Maggie um, through the doorway. Even it's just it's so it's it's disturbing. Um, and it, it's it, to kind of go back a little bit, like it's disturbing to see the transformation into Maggie. And to the to the episode's credit, I really like how the show doesn't doesn't even give us a chance to entertain that she is really Maggie. Like it is presenting to us the the true like nature of this creature that is manipulating this couple. And so that frees us to really dive into the emotional narrative of Barbara and Robert, like I said before, and that transformation that the alien goes through as like they're barricaded in the bathroom is incontrovertible proof that this is an alien manipulating them. And at the same time, it also makes Barbara's delusion harder to break. So Robert's speaking rationally and he's trying to reason with Barbara, but she won't hear it because she wants her daughter back. Likewise, Robert isn't really speaking to her in a way that will make it easier, easy for her to be receptive to his logic. So it's showing more of that abrasive and condescending way that Robert uh, speaks to Barbara. And it shows just how combative he can be about that. So, and he, he also, I think at this point he has the uh, hand injury. I think, um, and he uh, he said like he he winces at the pain, and then she tries to look at it. Like she tries to help him. She she goes to him and says like, "Oh, let me look at it or whatever." And he just kind of dismisses her. He says, "What are you going to do? You're not a doctor." And it's just like that. It's interesting to see that he is not speaking to her as an equal. He's just speaking to her as someone who he wants to see uh he wants to see his side of things rather than taking into account like her um her perspective and her um willingness to help like she she just wanted to help him with the with the hand or whatever and he's just very he's kind of in his he's his own island he's he's just dismissive of of her and i also love this as kind of a running theme between this episode and uh, Alex Rubin's other episode, Try Try, which I'll talk about soon. Um, so yeah, so like I said, this is a really emotionally rich episode, but it's, I mean, it's pretty straightforward and simplistic, but it's still, I think that straightforwardness and that simplicity in the plot uh, really, really highlights this emotional frailty that we're, that we see play out. And so the manipulation of the alien, um, is so freaking well done. I really, I really like it. Um, as she's transforming into Maggie and like trying to, trying to become like Maggie herself, there's this sad and tragic way that it's asking them if they can get pizza. And it's saying like these, these kid isms and these, these, um, these sentences that she's, figuring out that Maggie used to say. And then it morphs into something much more creepy when she starts repeating and malfunctioning. So it's like, oh, can I go over to Haley's or whoever? Um, like, can we get pizza? Can we get pizza? Can we get pizza? Can we get pizza? It's just this very mechanical um, malfunctioning thing as it's working through this this algorithm of Maggie to further assimilate into this into this family unit. It's just, it's really well done. Um, because while we have no question in our minds whether or not this is an alien or this is really the reincarnation of Maggie, because it's, it's clearly an alien and it's clearly manipulating them. 
while we don't, while we have that like directly, um, it's also just showing just <laughs> like how creepy that is. It's highlighting the creep factor of that. Um, and then it goes even a step further. So Robert's yelling at her through the door and quote unquote Maggie is pleading for them to open the door saying something's wrong. And that is so calculating. <laughs> um, so I w- kind of want to break that down just a little bit. She's saying like something's wrong. I, can you open the door? Can you please open the door? It's, it's so creepy because we saw in the basement that she can go through walls. Like she can move through walls. She can phase through matter like that. And so her pleading with them to open the door is calculating in that it's relying solely on the mimicry of the voice and the evolution of the Maggie voice in that, uh, in that, uh, in that alien unit. Um, to get them to persuade them to let her in and everything rather than just going into the door. And so that's on one hand, that's calculating, that's manipulative, that's creepy um, and unsettling, but it's also um, a tactic (laughs) to get them uh, to um, the, it's following her directive of being a biological pacification drone for an invasion. So it's just, it's really cool. And it also knows the, the alien itself also knows that Barbara is the weak link of the two. And so she starts, um, appealing to her and like, like the alien knows that appealing to Barbara is the alien's best bet at infiltrating. So when, uh, when Barbara opens the door and sees that the alien's transformation into Maggie is complete, it not only ushers in this new act for the episode, it kind of solidifies Barbara's uh, stance that, okay, this, even with, even with all of this evidence that this is just an alien, um, that's entered our home, seeing, seeing my dead daughter is going to, like, uh, like she's, she's completely not, uh, receptive to anything logic based because that's what she so desires is to have her daughter back that no logic is going to, is going to shake that, um, that desire. And I just feel like that's really well constructed in the episode and that's really well communicated in the episode. So like I said, this kind of ushers in a new act and this act is all about, um, really diving into the emotional, um, issues facing Barbara and Robert and the, Barbara and Robert, um, uh, in the, in the aftermath of their, their daughter's death. So Barbara is in the kitchen looking for cookies for, uh, Maggie and she's already become assimilated and she's already living in this fantasy that the alien is Maggie, but Robert is still resistant to it. And he's still trying to like bring her back to his side and bring her back to reality for, for lack of a better word. Um, he appeals to her like, and it's this harsh and kind of lacking of compassion. Um, that he says that he, he says you want to do over Barbara and this is the real world. There are no do overs. So that's harsh. And it's like I said, it's lacking compassion, but it's also at this point, it's what needs to be said. I don't think he is capable at this point of really grasping exactly how fraught and fragile she is in terms of like her, her mental state and uh, to be like, he's not extending any olive branches. He's just saying like, this is, this is wrong. What you're doing is wrong. You're letting in this alien and everything. I know what's right. You know what's wrong. Uh, so just, so just agree that you know what's wrong so that you can follow my playbook for this instead of, you know, appealing to what she, um, what the deeper meaning of, of her, um, the, what, what the deeper meaning of her assimilating to, to Maggie, uh, means for everything. So, 
Um, uh, so Barbara looks for Maggie upstairs while Robert searches the basement um, because they realize that she's gone. They don't know where she went. And the alien, however, is studying in Maggie's room. And it's so like this is this is weirdly disturbing in the way that it's. I like this for, for a couple of reasons. One, it's disturbing because it's blatant, blatantly using this information that it's getting from the room um, to further assimilate into Maggie's existence and also to further the manipulation of the, of the couple so that it can fester in the world <laughs> and it can, it can usher in the conquering of humanity. But it also shows us more what, – what I appreciate about this scene is it also shows us more of the real Maggie. So like the picture of the three of them in the front of the house is telling because Maggie's expression is blank and depressed and everything. And it's also just like the little trinkets and everything that we see um, as she's going through. It just really brings – for lack of a better word, it brings to life the character of Maggie. Um And then she finds Maggie's diary and she starts reading. And that is kind of like the smoking gun – that the alien has to to really wreak havoc emotionally on this couple and to really assimilate into this family unit. Um, let's see. Oh, oh, and then also, I don't remember this. I, I should go back and rewatch it, but Robert gets alien goo on him in the basement, and I'm not sure where that leads or why it matters. Um, I can't really remember, but um, he gets goo on his hand, so it's kind of creepy. So, so this is where kind of the floodgates open or the wounds kind of get reopened because Barbara says that she can see now what was going on with Maggie's suicidal thoughts as she's going, as she's looking in uh, Maggie's room and she claims that Robert was blind to it and she says that Maggie needed them and Robert fights back to this and says that Barbara's solution was to fawn all over Maggie, make excuses for her and let her do whatever she wanted um, and how that could have been part of the problem. Whereas, and then he also says, like, what are you blaming me for it, um, for what happened? And this is just a painful scene to watch. I mean, these are two people who are married. They raised a kid and they lost that kid. And now they're arguing over what caused the loss of their child, showing that their perspectives are completely different. So instead of healing together and getting through this as a married unit, a married couple who are, who are, you know, in love and sharing their life together, they're using the hindsight that the tragedy has given them to just assign blame on each other. And it's just, it's tragic and it makes it seem like their bond is completely irreparably broken. And it's just, it's some, it's some really tragic and, and beautiful writing, I think, in this episode. And Barbara also says that, uh, Robert wanted to, oh, no, no, Robert says, I wanted to have another child. And that was like evidence that he had moved on or that he had moved past it or that he had gotten over the loss. And Barbara claims that he just wanted to replace Maggie. And I, I kind of love Robert's reaction to that because he says that that's what, that's what Barbara is doing now with this alien. And it's, it's a valid, it's a valid reaction and really tightens up the drama here and connects, connects their grief in a, in a unique way to the story that's going on in their house with the alien. And I just, I love that the show is so tight and isn't losing any focus on the issue that they're facing with juggling like their personal uh, connection versus their reaction to the alien. I just, I just really like the, uh, the tightness of the script. And so Barbara says that she needs this, meaning the alien thing, to heal. And the kind of underlying tragedy is that their their relationship is fighting a losing battle with their grief. Um, like, I, I mean, I've kind of hinted at this and everything, but I mean, I can't possibly imagine 
uh, on a personal level what that level of tragedy would feel like i honestly can't like i'm i'm i don't like i'm not in a position where i could possibly know what that's like but the two of them should at least be able to depend on each other as they both navigate through their grief but they're just blaming each other and arguing over what what can't be changed and what started as this logic versus delusion kind of combative uh, situation that they were in has now become a, po- a potential escape hatch for their grief for their grief my voice keeps cracking i hate that <laughs> has now become a potential escape hatch for their grief and it's just it's so it's so smartly written in my opinion so that's when maggie the alien interrupts and further drives this wedge between them and she says, I don't like the way you talk to her. And that's when Robert lashes out at the alien. Um, of course, she knows this because she read the diary. And Robert says, you did this. Uh, uh, <laughs> uh, he says, you did this. You made me out to be a monster. I'm not the monster. And she kind of levels with him and says, you were never a father. You were just a guy who had a kid. And <laughs> and he says, that's what a father is. <laughs> Which, first of all, I... I think it's hilarious. Like it's a, it's a really funny, it's a funny line read from Chris Maloney because he's fighting this losing battle and this losing argument with an alien. And like, I don't know, it's just on the surface, it's, it's humorous, but the subtext says so much because like Barbara said earlier in the episode, Robert never listens and he doesn't consider what it, I, I think that the subtext here is that he never really considered what it really takes to be a parent to a child. So like, even though he is aware of, the emotional issues that she had. And she, he's aware of what caused them to lose Maggie. He was never present as a, as a parent when, uh, when, you know, she was alive. And then Maggie, the alien turns it around on Barbara and says, uh, you needed me to be absent minded and you needed, like you needed, uh, cause cause that wouldn't, uh, you needed me to be absent-minded because that's the only way you could explain the pills. And I, I kind of love that when she's confronted, when Barbara is confronted um, with this truth and she's like, she's being told like point blank from the, the entity that she has assigned as Maggie. She is, she's uh, assumed like, like she has assimilated to the idea that she's, that she is her daughter when she's confronted with that, like that she needed her to be absent-minded and that she, like she did, she wasn't clear of it. Um, it's what breaks the spell on Barbara. And like, she says, what are you? And then, uh, what I love about that is that Maggie's like, you tell me. (laughs) Um, um, and then this is where we kind of get into this. I guess this is probably where the third act begins, but we get into this healing thing. So Barbara says, I hurt you. I didn't know I did. Um, and this is where they come clean about what really happened and how they dealt with it. And I like that they're joined back together, uh, posing a united front as this, as their, their daughter alien is in the, is in the room. Um, and it's kind of them realizing like, okay, yes, I, I do see, I see the point. Like it, we, like we lost our daughter. It's, it's something that happened and this is why. And then Maggie comes out of the room and now it's her turn to come clean. And, um, she goes through this whole spiel. She says that she's a biological pacifi- pacification drone. Uh, she's a machine for conquest adapting to the world so she can take control, uh, or so that they can take control. And 
at this point, I'm like, okay, well, she's still playing them, but at least she's honest about it. Um, even though at this point, I think technically it's probably, she's not really still, um, playing them. She's, she's assimilating to humanity, um, rather than the other way around. Um, and here's where I just want to say that this episode has some interesting, I guess, loose parallels to last season's A Traveler. Um, I'm thinking more of like Jack in the cell siding with the aliens for pie. Um, that kind of thing, that, that idea of kind of, letting go and and just kind of letting this extraterrestrial invasion be and let it do its thing. Um, so I don't know. But anyway, the alien says that she quote, got lost in the mags. Um, and it's an interesting appeal to them. Like she's coming clean, but she's telling them that she's become more and more like their daughter. So it's this weird, um, I don't, and I guess she's telling the truth, but it's also hard to believe that she is because it's kind of, it kind of seems like this, um, this half truth, like, okay, well, I'm not your daughter, but I'm, I'm getting more and more like her, you know? So, you know, let me, let me live with you guys. Um, and Barbara says, all you need to be is what you are. And that's when Robert's like, have you lost your mind? (laughs) Um, and Barbara says it doesn't matter that she's not Maggie, but she's just all in for it. She's, it's, she doesn't care. She does, at this point, she knows that she's not Maggie, but she doesn't care that she's not Maggie because this is what she needs in her life. And she's succumbing to this desire to alleviate her grief without going through her grief, if that, if that makes sense. And so she kind of starts walking down the stairs with her. And, uh, this is kind of the, the big, um, like the big climactic scene, if, if you want to say it's a, the climax of the story, because it's a very talky, very emotionally driven story. But this is where we get like some little bit of action where Robert follows them down the stairs and he attacks the alien. Um, but it's brief, like she can't be attacked. It's like she can't be harmed. It's just, it's useless to try to try any kind of physical, um, uh, physical thing on her. And so she, so he, he's still trying to appeal to Barbara saying it's a con. And then Barbara's like, well, she said she turned off her directive, <laughs> which kind of makes me laugh. Like, obviously, like, I mean, if you're going to, I don't know if you're going to, if you're going to just believe what she says, like, I, like, that's what she wants you to say. That's probably what she wants you to think, but I don't know. So like I said, this is the apex of the drama. So not so much the, uh, the attack and everything, but this is more, this moment is where Robert finds himself at a crossroads. He's pleading with her, um, pleading with Barbara, telling her that the aliens are exploiting their most vulnerable thing. Uh, they're, they're them at their most vulnerable. And it's just, it's not right. You can't like, we can't do that. And then that's when the alien says to her, says to him, says to Robert, I'm not your daughter, but I do have her mind. And she appeals to him. And that's when, like, this, like, this is the big crossroads moment. Like, is Robert going to fall in line with this, with this bizarre aliens encounter and, and live their life with an alien? Or is he gonna, is he gonna lose his wife, essentially, um, to this and everything? So that's when, she hugs him and Robert just breaks down. That's that breaks down his, his defenses, his, his thing. And that's when they leave the house with holding hands and, and being happy and everything. And yeah. And then we get our closing narration, which I'll play right now. It traveled here at speeds. We cannot imagine 
across distances we cannot understand. Single-minded, perfectly designed to conquer, to absorb. Only to be conquered itself by humanity. It will go on laboring now, under a yoke of its own design, in one of the remotest colonies of the Twilight Zone. Interesting to note that Jordan Peele does not appear in the closing narration in this episode, so that's interesting. And it's also interesting that the closing narration says that the aliens were conquered by humanity. Um, so I guess I'm a cynic because as I'm watching the episode and as I've watched the episode and rewatched the episode, I really believe that she was playing them all along. Like, I didn't really see in it so much that that she was conquered by humanity and, and everything. I saw it more of a ploy to get them uh, to allow the invasion, essentially. But uh, they conquered him. They conquered her. So I guess that's 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 cool. Um, it's an interesting spin on the alien invasion story, though, um, how the way that the emotion of humans saved them from being conquered is just such an interesting... an interesting aspect to to use an alien invasion story to really tell an emotionally driven story um i i really like that um i really like that a lot and so the closing shot of the episode is seeing this the neighborhood with happy faces reunited with lost loved ones it's a strangely optimistic tone to end on in, in a weird way and i don't know really how i feel about it so First of all, I just want to say, is it, I don't know necessarily if they're all lost loved ones, um, cause that would be just a freaking tragedy of a, of a neighborhood. <laughs> like, oh, every single person in this, on this street has lost someone extremely close to them. Um, so much so that bringing them back is, would fix their lives and everything. Um, but then, like, I, that was my kind of, knee-jerk reaction to it but then i kind of thought a little bit deeper about it like i wonder can we infer that there are couples who can't have kids that live on the street or single people who never wed uh like and that maybe in that case the biological pacification drones uh, like what they did was maybe appeal for what they did for them was to appeal to the sorrow of humanity and pacified it by uh by just creating this this new life for them that they've that they've wanted um, and that in the case of, uh, Robert and Barbara, that meant bringing back their daughter. Um, but I do like the idea that like this alien invasion is thwarted because the sorrow of humanity was so strong that they ended up assimilating to it instead of conquering, conquering it. Um, I, <laughs> this is such a dumb, uh, such a dumb comparison to make, but I kind of liken it to, like when I got my cat, like she is a fierce predator and she is a, she is a apex predator who is, um, completely, uh, powerful and everything. But, uh, she, <laughs> she took so much pity on me that it just made her domesticated. <laughs> um, I don't, that, I don't know. Anyway, this episode was good. <laughs> I liked it. Um, yeah, I'm, I don't think I have any more real thoughts on it or anything. Um, it's a, it's a good episode. It grew on me a lot as I watched it. It kind of, um, I assimilated to, to it <laughs> well. And, uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I just think that it, it tells a really interesting story about humanity. And I, I love it as this contained, like I came to love it as this contained 
kind of two-hander uh, or three-hander, I guess. Um, but mostly it's about the couple and their their um, um, their grief and how they get through it. Like I could see this this type of thing could be adapted to like a stage production really well. I think um, like it it has that type of dialogue-driven emotional resonance um, that I could see play really well on stage. All right. So that's my review. Um, as far as trivia and notes, um, the opening, the opening scene referencing a comet passing over, a comet passing over, uh, feels very similar to the monsters are due on Maple Street. Um, and also there are some Easter eggs that I did not pick up on until I saw CBS All Access's, um, tweets when this aired, um, kind of sharing, uh, side-by-side images of the Easter eggs. I'll run through them. Um, in the opening shot, when we are outside the house and we see the for sale sign, the real estate company is called Davis Morton Real Estate. And that is a reference to season one, episode 23 of the original series, A World of Difference. Uh, the character... Oh God, I can't remember the character's name or either of the character's names, but he worked at Davis Morton Company. And as we're going through Maggie's room... Um, we see a clown doll, um, holding a sign, uh, which is a reference to season three's five characters in search of an exit, um, which I have not seen yet, obviously, given the, um, uh, given the, uh, construct of this episode, of this podcast. Um, and then we have, uh, the moving boxes have Dingle Moving Company on it, which is obviously a reference to season two's Mr. Dingle the Strong. Um, I do believe that Dingle Moving Company is a much clearer or much more apt uh, reference than we have in other episodes. I can't even remember what uh, Dingle as a company is in other episodes of this series. It's been so long. So of the, of this new season. And then, uh, my last Easter egg is kind of a, just a very direct reference to invade the invaders from season two. Uh, we see an invader doll in, uh, Maggie's bedroom. So yeah. So, all right, that does it. This is, that's it. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, this is that, that's it for this episode. Thank you guys so much for listening. And, uh, yeah, check out our Patreon if you, if you want to. It's patreon.com slash obsessive viewer. Like I said, one to two dollars a month gets you access to exclusive RSS feed with content recorded specifically for Patreon. Uh, before recording this episode, I recorded a kind of scatterbrained, um, uh, episode about science fiction um i talked about the upcoming uh mass effect legendary edition um video game uh that's coming out in may and then i also talked about uh my experience with dune the novel and uh reading do androids dream of electric sheep by philip k dick so check that out patreon.com slash obsessive viewer once again if you pay five dollars per month you'll get access to commentary tracks as well as that um uh that that RSS feed. And then also $10 gets you access to all of that plus exclusive unreleased and early access episodes. So yeah, next up on the podcast, I am going to get through this. I'm going to, I'm going to move on to a, a, a small town, the next episode in the list. And once again, or, or uh, I forgot to mention this earlier, but thank you so much to Tanana Reeve and Stephen Barnes for chatting with me. I hope you guys enjoyed that interview. Um, it was a lot of fun to just chat with them about their process and it was really cool. I was just, I mean, I just kind of sat there and just let them, let them talk. It was, I feel like I kind of got gold with that. It was really great. 
Um, so I hope you guys enjoyed that. And yeah, I'll be back next time on the podcast to review their episode, A Small Town. Um, until then, thank you guys so much for listening, and I'll see you next time. And now, here's a short clip from our Patreon-exclusive RSS feed. To hear the full clip and more exclusive Patreon content, go to patreon.com slash obsessiveviewer and become a patron at the minimum rate of $1 per month. Thank you and enjoy. Um, it was probably... I I was thinking about this. I I don't want to say that it was probably my first um, real, like experience with science fiction because that's not accurate i don't know when the first game came out but i was in high school i think um yeah or no i think yeah i don't know when it came out i don't have any notes in front of me but anyway um it came out when i was young and i played it and like i remember vividly this uh uh game informer review that said, um, oh, it's it said that movies have Star Wars, TV has Star Trek, and now um, video games have Mass Effect, which I, that always stuck in my mind. And it's accurate, too, because Mass Effect has just this massive world and this massive universe in it. And every time I play those games or any time I've played those games, I've just been so absorbed in just the world of it and the universe that it created and everything. So I'm super excited to go back to go back to those games and replay them because anthology is edited and produced by Matt hurt and presented by obsessiveviewer.com. for a full archive of our episodes, go to anthologypod.com slash archive. You can also like the Facebook page at facebook.com slash anthology pod. And follow the show on Twitter at OVAnthologyPod. If you enjoy the show, please take a couple minutes to leave us a rating and a quick review on Apple Podcasts. This is the easiest way to support what we do, and all it costs is a little bit of your time. If you'd like to donate to the podcast, you can make a PayPal donation at anthologypod.com donate, or support us on Patreon for recurring donations and access to commentary tracks and B-roll audio recorded exclusively for patrons at patreon.com slash obsessiveviewer. Every donation goes toward paying the fees to keep the podcast running and is greatly appreciated. Official anthology merch, including shirts, mugs, phone cases, and more, can be found in the Obsessive Viewers Tee Public Store. You can find a link to the store in the show notes of this episode and at anthologypod.com slash donate. Or you can simply search for Obsessive Viewer at teepublic.com. For information about the Obsessive Viewers annual live event showcasing short horror films from local filmmakers, check out shocktoberinirvington.com. And for an archive of all our events, as well as news about potential future events, head over to obsessiveviewer.com slash live. For more podcast content, you can find our flagship movie and TV review and discussion show, The Obsessive Viewer Podcast, at obsessiveviewer.com, and on Twitter at obsessiveviewer. You can also find Tower Junkies, a podcast where Matt and co-host Tiny share their love of all things Stephen King and his magnum opus, The Dark Tower series, over at TowerJunkiesPod.com and at TowerJunkiesPod on Twitter. And finally, check out The Secular Perspective, Tiny's side project podcast, which tackles current events and life's big questions from the perspective of secular hosts Chad and Amanda at TheSecularPerspective.com. 
Bumper music for this podcast comes courtesy of As Good As It Gets, which can be found at facebook.com slash asgoodasitgetsband. You can also find As Good As It Gets music on Spotify, Google Play, and iTunes. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next time. Kitty! Can we get pizza? 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 Can we get pizza?